morning we have a special treat. Uh, Brother Andy Gleiser is here with us this morning. He is one of the missionaries that we support as a church. He has gone to Reno, Nevada, and planted a church there. What's the name of the ministry? I'm sorry. Living Hope Church. Okay. And he's been there for, what, about two years, a little over two years now. And so he's going to share with us a little bit about the ministry there, and then he's going to share a message from God's Word about God is our refuge. And so, Andy, I'm going to let you take the time that remains. God bless you. Well, good morning to you. It's a blessing for me, true blessing, to be here with you uh, today. I wish my family could be here with you. I'd like to tell you, excuse me, I lost my voice last week, and it's not quite back. I'm still trying to fight that, so I apologize. But I wish my family could be here. I'll tell you a little bit about them and a little bit about what God has uh, called us to do and uh, God's blessing, and then we'll look at the Word of God a little bit later from now. But my wife, is uh, her name is Bryn, and Bryn and I, we just, this last month, we celebrated 22 years of marriage and uh, God's been so faithful to us, grateful for that. He's also blessed us with three uh, teenagers and uh, three three kiddos. And uh, our oldest is uh, a girl. She's 18, and she's going. She just graduated high school. She's going to be going off to college here at the end of next month. She's breaking my heart, uh, but uh, that's uh, our Karis. She is 18, and then our son Drew is 16. He's going in the 11th grade. And then our baby, who's almost 14, uh, Amberly, she's going to be in the ninth grade. So we're going to have two high schoolers and a college student. <clears throat> and um, God's been so very good to us. After many years of serving in a church in Indiana as a youth pastor, 13 years in fact, and then about six, almost seven years of itinerant evangelism, uh, the Lord called my family in 2020 to leave Indiana and to move to Reno, Nevada. And uh, our family moved there with uh, eventually three other families, three other pastors. And uh, we went to start a church there. <clears throat> and uh, so <clears throat> next month is going to be our three-year anniversary since our move there. And it was in December of 2020 that we began to start meeting in a home and it was just a, short, a small number of us at first, and uh, we began to meet, have some Bible studies. The Lord was blessing uh, in that, so grateful for what He was doing. We began to meet people. We did not know anybody when we moved there, but we knew God had uh, called us there. The, the city of Reno is about 500,000 people. Um, <clears throat> 70% of the city do not attend a church of any kind whatsoever. Um there is a great need for more gospel preaching churches. In fact, in 2017, when we were first looking at where we might go, we discovered that the Barner Research Group determined that Reno was the number two unchurched city in the United States, a crying need for the gospel light. And so we went there with a desire and a dream in our heart to see God raise up a church, and if God gives grace, that we could see another church planted, and maybe another church after that planted. We we'd like to see many uh, churches planted there in the in the northern Nevada region. 
So in December of 2020, we started meeting in a house, and by July of 2021, we had uh, enough people have been coming. We we outgrew the little house in which we were meeting, and uh, we began looking for a place in which we could rent. And the Lord directed us to a building, a community center. We're still renting from that. In fact, uh, oh, in about two hours, an hour and a half or so, that our our church will be gathering there in that same community center. But um, we began to to meet in there. And uh, little by little, God has allowed us to meet many people. A lot of relationships have grown. And uh, the Lord has been bringing together a church. In October of 2021, we had what we called our opening Sunday. It was one of those come one, come all type of Sundays and gatherings. And... Excuse me, the Lord blessed and gave uh, to us on that day 106 people who showed up on that opening Sunday. Boy, that was a, that was a wonderful shot in the arm, and uh, we, we love to see that. And then the next week, there were about 100 people. New people came. Other people did not come back, but we saw that. And uh, the Lord has continued to, to, to bring people. In fact, at least every month, we are having still many guests that come and checking us out. We are averaging about 70 people on a Sunday. So I guess there'll be about 70 to 75 who will gather this morning. I'm, I'm missing them. I, I, uh, I wish I could be there. I'm glad to be with you, but I'm missing being with them. <clears throat> but there will be about 70 or 75 that will meet. And, uh, and so it was in April of 22, so just about 14 months ago, nearly 15 months ago, we had what we called our charter service, where we covenanted together that we would form Living Hope Church, and uh, uh, we had 35 people who decided to join with us, unite with us on that day. And uh, since then, in these 14, 15 months, uh, we have gathered about uh, five or so more members. So we're, we're right at 40 members, about 70 regular attenders. And uh, so God's built a, a great core there. And we're seeing uh, God's brought some hurting people to us. He's brought some unchurched people to us. Uh, he's brought some people who have moved into the city um, after we moved there who have joined up with us. Uh, some mature believers, some young believers, a lot of young families. May I say, with the number of kiddos and young young ones here uh, at Bunker Hill, this feels a lot like home, I'll be honest. Uh, we have a lot of little kids, a lot of young families, and then we have some some senior saints as well, and uh, just the whole the whole gamut of that. Um, so I am one of four pastors. Uh, there in, in the church, and uh, my main responsibilities center on outreach and uh, reaching out into the community and uh, sharing the gospel and so forth. And and uh, God's given my my wife a unique ministry as well. Being in the state of Nevada, there are certain uh, vices that are legal. Um, such as prostitution is legal in in Nevada, not in the city limits, but you can go just outside the city in, and you and you could find the brothels twenty minutes outside in the hills. Uh, Reno is tucked up into the we're in the we live in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. It's a beautiful location, forty five hundred elevation. It's a great place, but there's a lot of sin there, a lot of need of Christ. 
And one of the ministries that God's given my wife is something called Scarlet Hope Ministry. This is a ministry where several ladies of various churches throughout the, the city in that region, they, uh, they go and they, they minister uh, to the uh, dancers who perform in the um, clubs downtown. They have recently begun to uh, uh, go into at least one of the brothels out into the countryside. And uh, it's, a, it's a difficult ministry. It's a hard ministry. If you'd like to know more about it, I'll be happy to talk with you about it over the luncheon today. But um, they just, uh, so much brokenness and so much sin, so much hurt. And yet we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And uh, so grateful for my wife and her ability to, to minister in that way. Um, our children are homeschooled. And uh, they have various ministries of their own uh, in the, a lot of, at least our two girls do a lot of babysitting um, and so forth. The Lord's also brought another church in, in, that's in the city that's really partnered with us, another sister church that has been such an encouragement and a help to us. In fact, like your church, that church has taken us on as a, as a church planting uh, entity, and um, they are uh, they they just have been such an encouragement to us. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that I could I could say here. Uh, I, you know, um, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I I could talk your ear off. We could talk much about it during the luncheon time, and I'm looking forward to that to be to, during that time with you. I want to save some time for the preaching of the Word of God. But um, the Lord is doing a good work uh, in, in, in Reno. There, is a, um, there are a number of good gospel-preaching churches, but um, the number is very, very small. The number of the percentage of evangelicals who would classify themselves as evangelicals in Reno would only be 6%. It's a small number, a small remnant, and yet God, uh, God has His light there. God is building His church there. God was building his church long before I ever got there, and he's going to be building his church long after I'm gone. But uh, I rejoice in, in the, good, the good work of God that he is doing there. Uh, if you're ever coming out to the Lake Tahoe area, by all means, come and do so. Um, you say, well, yeah, I, you know, I, may, I may have a convention or something. I'm swinging through Vegas. Well, that's wonderful, but Vegas is seven hours south of Reno. Uh, sometimes I'm talking with people, and they, they, they want to know all about Vegas. Well, I don't know a lot about Las Vegas. Uh, it is a big state. We are actually uh, three and a half hours uh, to, uh, from San Francisco, so we're, we're very close to northern uh, California. In fact, my apartment is literally 10 miles from the border of California. So we are right up next to there. And we are, again, right next to the Sierra Nevada. Uh, beautiful location. Uh, it's a wonderful place, actually, to raise a family. A lot of young families are there. Um, it's a very technological place, but uh, there is a there is a need. For, for more churches. And so we're grateful for what God has been doing. And um, if you'd like to know more, obviously ask your questions. I'll be happy to answer them. But if you'd like to know more, you can also go to our website. It is livinghopereno.com. livinghopereno.com. 
by the way, we chose the name Living Hope because our verse for our church is 1 Peter 1.3. We have been born again to a living hope. The, the book of 1 Peter is a wonderful book. You should study it sometime. It is a fantastic book to go through. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do know you're, uh, you're going through it. But anyway, uh, 1 Peter 1.3 is, is where we got the name for our church. Uh, we exist... Our church exists to bring broken lives to living hope in Jesus Christ. Whether a person is without Christ, whether a person is in Christ, we need the same hope that comes from the, the, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and we are seeing God do a good work. It's a challenging work, and yet it is a rewarding work. And uh, to God be the glory. Another way you can find out if you, I send out every month uh, through email an, a monthly update. <laughs> I've got to write the one from July now. Uh, but uh, at the at the at every month I I send one. If you would enjoy receiving a monthly update about what God is doing in Reno at uh, at Living Hope and and know more about our family. Um, Give me your email. I will make sure that you get added on, and you should be able to start getting those starting here this this next one. If you say, I got enough stuff to read, that's fine. But it is available for those who would like that, and I put prayer requests in there. helps you keep involved. But I just want to say from my family, uh, 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 my, my personal family, thank you for your investment in our family and... Um, uh, you are one of the supporting churches that every month, uh, not only uh, in prayer, but also in uh, financial support. Uh, we thank you. I am bivocational, so uh, we, we survive on the gifts of God's people, the support of God's people. I also have another job and another job on top of that. And uh, as uh, we seek to make ends meet, and you, we are so grateful for you and your investment in the kingdom of God there. All right. I will stop. Um, I really could tell you story after story of God's grace. Um, I know that's, that's the good stuff. But we have gathered to hear from God, not from me. So I would invite you to take your Bible and go to Psalm 46. I mentioned my daughter who's just graduated from high school. This is her favorite psalm. Do you have a favorite psalm? Maybe it's this. Maybe it's another one. It's a good one. If you say, I've never thought about having a favorite psalm, choose this one. This is a good one. There are 11 verses. I'm only going to read the first three. This is the only portion of the psalm that we're going to consider this morning. Psalm 46 begins, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. Psalm 46 was the basis and is the basis for Martin Luther's enduring hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Maybe you've sung that song before. 
Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher in England in the 19th century, he called Psalm 46 the song of holy, H-O-L-Y, the song of holy confidence. God's people have been singing this hymn for thousands of years. And this morning, we're going to sing a portion of the hymn. Now, by when I say sing, I mean I'm going to preach and you're going to meditate upon it. But we're going to sing this song. The theme of Psalm 46 is very clear. It is having and placing a confidence in God during turbulent times, during the hard times, the troubled times. If you look at the text, verse 3 and verse 7 and verse 11 all end with the same word, Selah. This is a musical term to the best of our knowledge. Most people believe, as I do, that it, it means to stop singing for a moment. Maybe music continues to play, but stop singing and meditate on what you have just sung. Have you ever sung hymns in church and you get done and you sit down and you think, oh my goodness, what did I just sing? My mind was somewhere else. The word Selah means let your mind be on what you just sung. Think about, meditate upon the glory, the truth of what the congregation is singing. So therefore, because there are three Selahs, it's very easy to see there are maybe three stanzas of this particular song of holy confidence So this morning, we're only going to look at stanza one, which is verses one, two, and three, in which we are exhorted to rest in the peace that comes from God. Nobody knows definitively when or who wrote uh, Psalm 46. There is some indication in verse five, and there is some indication in verse nine that perhaps Psalm 46 was composed during the time of King Hezekiah. I actually believe that. We don't know for sure, but many people would hold to that. You remember King Hezekiah? Have you ever heard of King Hezekiah? You remember that the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Forget the northern kingdom for a minute, just the southern kingdom, the the kingdom of Judah. They had a lot of good kings. They had a lot of bad kings. They had a lot of so-so kings. But one of the good kings was this man named Hezekiah. And you can read about what many people believe is the setting of Psalm 46 written in the aftermath of something that happened in 2 Chronicles 32. You can read all about it in Isaiah 36 and 37. Yes, Isaiah the prophet is a contemporary of King Hezekiah. Most likely, again, when Psalm 46 is written, here is the backstory. many people believe in which Psalm 46 is written in the immediate aftermath. The terrorists of King Hezekiah's day had come to Jerusalem. They were known as the Assyrians. Their capital city, maybe you've heard of it before, is a city known as Nineveh. The Assyrians, the barbarians, the savages of their day, prided themselves on their lewd and violent brutality. In fact, if they were to come to a city to besiege it, the citizens were terrified because they knew they were about to be subjected to unspeakable atrocities. Atrocities such as rapings and beheadings, 
mutilations, the skinning alive of victims. In fact, they would often stack the corpses of their victims in the city gates when they would finish with a city as a vivid, horrific object lesson to anyone else, this is what happens to those who dare to resist the mighty Assyrians. We do know that Jonah was a prophet sent to Nineveh. Did you know there was another prophet sent to Nineveh? In the Old Testament, his name was Nahum. If you've ever read the book, the prophecy of Nahum, you can read that he refers to Nineveh, these Assyrians, as the bloody city. He uses imagery of of chariots running over the dead, splattering the blood everywhere. These are the people that are camped on the doorstep of Jerusalem. They're going to overrun the city of God's people. In fact, we read in 2 Chronicles 32 and Isaiah 36 and 37 that more than 185,000 of these savages are ready to come in under the leadership of the great king of Assyria, Sennacherib, and his generals. The people of God are scared. They are terrified. They are fearful for their, of losing their freedom. They're fearful for their family. They are terrified of death. They are afraid of attack. Life as they knew it is about to be irrevocably changed. So what do God's people do? They do what God's people have always done in times of trouble. They cried out to their God. And what did God do? God does what God has always done for His people. He heard them and He responded. And a little spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, in one night God sent a destroying angel who wiped out more than or who wiped out 185,000 of these terrorists. Sin had finally caught up to them. And the lesson is very clear when you place confidence in God, he takes care of that which you are afraid. Many believe as I do that someone in Jerusalem sat down and wrote composed what became eventually the 46th Psalm in the immediate aftermath of God's victory over that which they were afraid. Psalm 46 is to be sung by God's people with a holy confidence in him during unstable times. So here in, in, in this, first song, this first stanza of Psalm 46, these first three verses, what I'd like to do is give you two, or show you two pictures of God that emerge. We're going to spend the bulk of our time on the first picture, and we'll just briefly touch upon the second. But the first picture is this. God is our strong refuge. And the second picture of God is that He is our permanent stability. So let's look at these two pictures this morning. We begin with this first one. God is our strong refuge. You do notice I don't make that up. How does the song begin? God is our refuge and strength. Our strong refuge. Notice our song begins with God. 
It starts on a high note. I remember back in college days, I sang in a choir, and maybe you've heard of this piece of music, Handel's Messiah. We sang it around the Christmas, Thanksgiving time. Wonderful piece of music, a long series of songs. One of the songs in the in the Messiah is one maybe you've heard of, maybe some of you haven't heard of before. It's called Worthy is the Lamb. And if you're familiar with this particular song, there's no warm-up to it. In fact, the very first lyric is worthy, and there's no real uh, prelude. There's no real introduction. Again, there is no ramp. You hit a note, and then the choir sings at the top the biggest note of the entire song, worthy is the Lamb. That's how it begins. I cannot help but think of that when I come to Psalm 46, for here we begin on a crescendo. God, our refuge and strength. It grabs our attention. We are transported, as it were, with God on a high and lofty place overlooking the churning chaos of our lives below us. God, our refuge and strength. Our song begins with God. Elohim is the name of God here. It means the self-existent one. Here is the one who is above our turmoil. Here is the one who lives outside the limit of our anxieties. He is the one who dwells in the realm beyond our fears. The one who is unaffected by the instability of humanity. How interesting, isn't it? When we are in the midst of chaos and we don't know up from right, or left from right, or up from down, and we can't figure out anything, our song does not begin with us at all. It begins with the self-existent one. And what do we affirm of Him? He is our refuge and our strength. Now, interestingly, this word is, when it says God is our refuge, Maybe your text, as mine does here, has it in italics. That means this word is was not originally written in the Hebrew language. It was supplied by the English translators to help our English mind. It's a good translation. But literally, Psalm 46.1 comes to us this way. God, our refuge and strength. In other words... There is The poet puts no time stamp. There is no sell-by date. Here is a reality that never expires. Here is a truth that is always current. God is our refuge and strength. It is not that He will be your refuge in the future. Oh, that is true. He will be. And it is not as though He might be your, your refuge, as though He will only be the refuge of those who have reached a certain level of spiritual maturity. No, from the weakest in here to the strongest, God is our refuge and strength. From the least mature in Christ to the most mature in Christ, He is our refuge and strength. For those of us who are struggling to believe that God is good. To those who are confident that God always works everything for good. Or wherever you fall in between, 
Here is a truth, a never-ending, never-altering reality. God is our refuge and strength. You Do I hear someone this morning say, Andy, that's wonderful. If I only knew what a refuge was, maybe I could be excited about that. Most of us, I think, know what a refuge is. It is a stronghold. It is a place of security. It is a fortress. That's why Martin Luther chose that term as it comes over into the English. A mighty fortress is our God. It's a castle. That's what a fortress is, a refuge. In ancient days, the castle would sit up on a, on a high place and, and all the citizens of the kingdom would, would have their, their homes and their houses and their fields and their places of business out away from the castle. But as soon as there was a threat to their existence... People would leave their fields, they would leave their homes, and the citizens would rush into the fortified castle because they found there was a place of protection, a place of safety, a place of security. But I want you to notice here in Psalm 46, our refuge is not a place. Our refuge is a person a person you can't do without, a person you can't live without. What is your refuge when life knocks you down? For some of us, it's work. We throw ourselves into a project. For some of us, it's a hobby or some sort of a relationship or maybe it's family or, or maybe it's the pursuit of good health. Or maybe it's such things as entertainment or shopping. Or maybe our refuge when we are knocked down and we don't know one way or the other, maybe our refuge is something a little more sinister like pornography or alcohol or some other form of narcotic. Maybe nobody else knows this, but maybe you've been contemplating your refuge is actually ending your life. It seems like there will be peace if I can just end this existence. Obviously, some of these are diversions and some of these are certainly sinful, but they are all distractions. None of these are our refuge. For we read here that God, the self-existent one, He is the one who is our refuge. None of these other things. Elohim is my castle. He is my place of security. Jesus is my safe space. God is our refuge. But notice, He is also our strength. This, of course, speaks of the quality of our refuge. This is our strong refuge, a mighty fortress. Our refuge, God has weathered the storms of life and is still standing strong. In our weakness, He is our strength. Do you find yourself this morning helpless to change the situation that feels out of your control? Do you feel your futility? Are you losing faith or losing hope? Then run to your refuge and find strength in someone not named you. Find strength in another place other than your own understanding. 
He is the one who will direct your paths. Again, Charles Spurgeon, this is attributed to him. The greatest place, he said, is to be in need of God. Do you find yourself at the end of your strength? Good. You're in the best place to be. God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 9 was quoted earlier, but there's a verse later in Psalm 9. Verse 9, the Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Psalm 62, 7 and 8, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. But look at the next line of verse number one. A very present help in trouble. Don't be alarmed by this word trouble. This word, uh, that the, trouble is what a refuge is for. Were there no trouble, you would never need a refuge. But praise God, you have a refuge because you have trouble. Trouble here speaks of being in a tight place. Do you find yourself in a tight place? Do you find those you love in a tight place, stress suffocating you, anxieties constricting your ability to breathe, pressures impeding rational decisions? This is the moment for your refuge and strength. And in your trouble, you will find he is a help in trouble. Now, if you're not careful, you might see and, and, and think of Jesus or think of God here as your helper in trouble. God will be a very present helper in trouble. Well, he is a helper. The Bible teaches that. But sometimes when we think of helper, we think of an assistant, one who comes alongside and is assisting with us. But did you notice here it does not say he will be a helper. It says he will be the help itself. God is the answer of peace Himself. He is all that we need. And notice this help is a present help when you are in your tight trouble. The word present here speaks of being available, speaks of showing up. Do you remember grade school days? A teacher does roll call. Class, when I say your name... Say here, and the names start being read. And inevitably, there was that one kid. Maybe that was you, I don't know. The name is called, and instead of yelling out here, what does that student say? Present! And everybody chuckles like we've never heard it before. And it happens again the next day and the next day. Do you not see here that the moment in your pain and in your trouble and in your turmoil, when you call out the name of God, He says present. He is your present help in trouble. But you know where this is going. He says, the text here says, He is not just a present help in trouble. He is a very present help in trouble. This intensifies the presence. Can I put it to you this way? God isn't just there. He's all up in your business. When my daughter, our youngest, when she was four, she was just learning the English language and she didn't understand the difference between adjectives and adverbs. 
like some of us, you know, we still don't understand the difference. But as a four-year-old, her favorite word, and she liberally used this to pepper all of her intense talk. See, my daughter, Amberly, she just lives in the moment. She's an intense girl. Her favorite word was very. She used it for everything. One night I was preaching, and she heard me. She was actually listening. And in the middle of the as a four-year-old, and in the middle of the in the middle of the message, somewhere along there, I talked about how how I struggle with fear and anxieties and worries about things, and I said something along the lines of, "I think I'm about the most fearful person I've ever known." After the the message, Amberly comes to me, my little four-year-old at the time, and she says, "Daddy, I listened to you tonight," and I said, "Well, good, honey," and she said, "Daddy." You have very fear. <laughs> All right, I guess so. Yep, poor grammar, but it got, it got the message across. Very fear. Well, you know what? I do have very fear when I don't have answers. But in the midst of my very fear, I have a very present help in trouble. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is nigh, near to those who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will hear their cry and will save them. There's one more word that I have not meditated upon with you here in this first opening verse, and that is the word our. God is our refuge. Did you notice this? The psalm writer here is saying, this is what the congregation is singing. Yes, God is the individual refuge of the individual, but here the emphasis is on the community of faith, the collective, the body. The Assyrians were not just assaulting one person or one family with one person in the city under attack. All were under attack. And God rescues all. And so they collectively come together and say, God, you are our refuge. Oh, how many Christians, if we can apply it to today, how many Christians when life becomes unstable and the chaos is churning and the turmoil is ripping our hearts, they pick up their ball and they go home and they distance themselves from God's people and the community of faith. Don't do that. We need one another. We have this very present help in trouble and part of the help that He provides us is the community of faith. We are all weeping together. We are all rejoicing together. We are all a part of the bride of Christ. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. That's the first picture I wanted to show you. God is our strong refuge. May I quickly finish with this second picture. God is our permanent stability. Look at verse 2. Therefore... We will not fear. I love the word therefore because it ties verse 1 with verse 2. There is no need for fear. 
because of verse 1. Are you full of anxiety and worry and fear? You have been, you will be again, and so will I. But in those moments, that's what our refuge is for. There is no need to fear. He is our refuge and strength. Because I live on the other side of the country, <laughs> if I ever have the opportunity to preach in another location like Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, I have to get in a plane and fly. You know, when I'm flying, I never think about how I'm, how I'm 30,000 feet in the air and hurtling through the ether at 550 miles an hour in a metal tube. I, I never think about that on purpose until we hit a little thing called turbulence. Have you experienced turbulence in a plane? Everything's going great, and then you hit that pocket of air, and what do you do? You know what I do? Grab the side of the chair. Well, it's more like this now, but you grab the side of the chair. Like that's going to do me any good. I was sitting next to a lady one time, and we hit a small plane. We hit turbulence. She screamed and she grabbed me that terrified me i think more than the than the turbulence and she's like i am so sorry and i was like that's okay i'm a real bad refuge though i realize in those moments i am completely out of control of my life i have no control over my safety it's in the hands of someone else and in those moments, I'm very quick to Jesus. Lord, please calm my mind. Let me put my mind upon you. Well, good for me, but am I quick to Jesus when turbulence hits my bank account? What about you? Are you quick to God when turbulence hits your marriage, your grandchildren, your church, your health? Did you notice the, ends, uh, the rest of verse 2 and 3? We see this word, though, show up. Though the earth be removed. Though mountains are carried or slide in the heart of the sea. Though waters roar and are troubled. Though mountains shake with the swelling. Mountains. Earth. These are symbols of stability. Have you ever tried to move a mountain? You can't until the earth moves. And that which you thought was stable becomes unstable. All of a sudden, everything is in flux, though all be removed. Though that which we thought would never change does change, he remains permanently stable. The castle cannot crumble. He is our strong refuge. Family is going to let you down and leave you feeling vulnerable. The dollar bill in these United States of America is going to leave you feeling vulnerable. 
friends and trusted people are going to betray or hurt and leave you feeling vulnerable, but there is a God in heaven who never leaves you vulnerable, who never leaves your side, who never crumbles, who never wilts. As again, Martin Luther put it, a mighty fortress is our God. He is a bulwark that is a support beam. He is a bulwark that never fails. 2018, my wife was 39. She was diagnosed with stage 3A breast cancer. We had to act very quickly. I'm grateful that we're five years out now and God in His kindness, she's currently cancer-free. But in those moments and in those darkness with all the, cur- all the swirling about us, life was upended for my entire family. A lot of tears, a lot of pain. The night before her first of two surgeries, before everything was about to undergo, we got a message from my wife's brother. And she said, I don't know. I want you to know that we're praying for you. I don't know if this is going to help you or not. But I figure a lot may change tomorrow. But nothing eternal will change. And oh, how we held on to that. Because can I tell you something the next day? A lot did change. May I say, from March 2018 to July of 2023, life has been different than it was before. Life has never been the same. A lot changed. A lot more will change. But because of Jesus Christ, nothing eternal changed. Because He is our refuge and strength. I close with this. The only reason He is our refuge and strength is because we have run to Him for Him to be our refuge from our ultimate enemy. Our own sin. And I ask you, have you found Jesus Christ as your refuge from your sin? You've maybe tried to clean up your own act. You've maybe tried to to unstain the dirtiness of your own heart. And you've tried to do a lot more good than bad. And then maybe if I have enough good, then I do bad. Then who? maybe then I can get to go up and I don't have to go down at the end of life. Get to go to heaven. But you've discovered nothing you do can eliminate the taint and the sin and the treachery of your own heart. Sin is too strong for you to conquer on your own. You need someone to do it for you. You need someone to be the refuge from the judgment of God. You need someone who is strong enough to uproot and dislodge the sin from you. Only Jesus can do that. Come to Him today and find He is your refuge and strength from sin and He's also your refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Father, in Jesus' name, thank You for being all that we need. Give us grace to receive and the faith to believe this. Amen.